0: still in the garage you're back home from branson missouri or as i like to call it old people vegas
1: yeah it's the land of hotel rooms and all you can eat buffets
0: yeah exactly honestly it doesn't sound that bad to me
1: <laughs> how old are you jimbo you're not old enough to like that kind of thing yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm only 38 but i love a good buffet
1: are you serious oh if man good, if it's good if it's good Good and buffet are two words that do not belong together in the same sentence. So
0: there's a couple of places in Mississippi I got to take you. Okay. There's a place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, called mm-hmm. Movie Star Restaurant. <laughs> okay. And I'm gonna tell you, that's some good buffet.
1: All right. Now I will say this: I was, uh, I was in your old stomping grounds or Audrey's. Uh, I was in Holly Springs. Yep. And uh, just south there of Memphis. And the DOM that I was working with took me to a buffet on the Old Town Square. And the story was that the family who opened that restaurant, they were a family that they just they started catering and people loved it so much. They said, would you guys open up a restaurant? So they did. And they had this kind of cobbled together corner of the restaurant buffet. And brother, let me tell you, that was some grandma scratch cooking going on. And so I will retract my buffet statement for that restaurant.
0: There we go. Is it Now, I, I, I will be honest. I've never had a good buffet outside of the city, the state of Mississippi.
1: Okay. I think we're on to something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I'll also say Mississippi, I think, leads the nation in obesity.
1: That's why I was saying we're on to something. <laughs> Maybe that's a category that Mississippians can be proud. Of. And if you're a boot camp listener from Mississippi, I just want a hat tip to you. We're not trying to disparage you. We we want to give you the hat tip. You guys win the buffet line.
0: I, I happily grew up and proudly grew up in the wonderful state of Mississippi. And it's got a lot to offer.
1: Yeah. All right. You know what? I'm One of my favorite shows on TV, Jimbo, is Hometown, which occurs in Laurel, Mississippi. And yep. I I just like the couple, Ben and Aaron, so much. I just would move there just to maybe see them down in the street. I,
0: I'm telling you, look, that's right around the corner from where I grew up in Hattiesburg. It's a great place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you know, I should while, retire. While you,
0: while you were in Branson, did you happen to catch any shows?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> They're all closed down. It's wintertime. I guess there's some Christmas shows that are going on, but I think I was actually talking with you online and. Yeah. Uh, so I bet you dollars
0: me. to donuts that Sanders family Christmas is going strong mm-hmm. in Branson, Missouri. I have acted in my illustrious thespian career yes. in, the, in the original Sanders family show called Smoke on the Mountain. I played the preacher who doesn't sing except for one song because it's a musical. And all I can remember is the first few words. Can you get? Give- I'm so happy as I travel on the right road to glory land. That's it. That's, That's
1: all nice. I know. That's really Was there dancing in this?
0: There is not as much dancing. It is a comedy show. It's pretty funny. It's actually written by Mark Lowry, mm-hmm. like from the Gaithers, and it made it to Broadway, and I performed it in the United States, and I did a mission trip performing it in Kenya.
1: <laughs> you told me about this. Tell me, how does a southern gospel, southern story about... What is it called? Blood on the Mountain? What was it? Smoke on the Mountain. Okay, sorry. That's a revelation movie, I think, from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke on the Mountain. How in the world does that play in Kenya? Like, how do people relate to that? Was there translation? Did they speak English? What? what tell me about that.
0: Bob, most of the rest of the world speaks English. Only lazy Americans only <laughs> speak one language. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I did a mission trip to Kenya a few years before that. And one of the things they talked about was everyone comes to Kenya to serve the poor, but there is a pretty large wealthy population in Kenya, and they need Jesus too. And so the missionaries we were connected with there asked us if we would come to a dinner theater. And so it took a couple of years and we put a team together and did that show, Smoke on the Mountain, and took that, built sets, the whole thing and set up in a, in a theater out in the public area and had lots of people there. And and we just really had a great time. It's a Christian show that made it to Broadway. And so it's a fun musical. It's really funny. You have a chance to watch this good old country church in the middle of nowhere. And all the hijinks that happened with the Sanders family singers making their way <laughs> there. And there's a, I, I really don't, it's been so long. All I remember detail-wise, is the Sanders Family Singers. Something to do with a pickle truck falling over on the river, pickles going everywhere, and all sorts of different things. that They come to this little bitty church, and that's where it's set, and sing some songs, but it's a really fun show.
1: That's awesome. And once again, I'm absolutely blown away and amazed at all of the things you have done in your life. <laughs> You've <laughs> only gotten the tip of the iceberg. we yeah. got a couple of years left before I can really okay. get it all in. Yeah, you still owe me a story about some kind of mystery, mysterious day in L.A. where you might have been involved in some illegal activity, but unintentionally.
0: So. yeah, we'll have to we'll have to share the whole story about Los Angeles and how it was homeless for a week in Los Angeles. But. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> but not today, you'll have to wait. As a matter of fact, I think we've talked long enough about other random stuff. We've left everybody waiting long enough to figure out what is this episode actually about. We're trying to figure it out right now ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about waiting and waiting. In in Advent, the idea of Advent, the season that we're in, is waiting with great anticipation for a great, wonderful event that you're excited about. And obviously, our Advent is the Advent of Christ as the sweet baby Jesus in Bethlehem, and we get to celebrate that in this season. But it got me thinking recently, Bob, about how much time we spend as pastors, and especially as church revitalization and replanting pastors, waiting.
1: That's right. Yeah, waiting for a lot of things to happen, things to change, people be ready to move. We do spend a lot of time waiting, and most of the time that's hard for uh, me, I know, and certain personalities. It's very difficult to wait, but I think one of the misnomers and misconceptions is that God's not doing anything, and things are not being accomplished during a season of waiting, Mm -hmm. And we often equate a season of waiting in the church as to waiting in line and the line is not moving. Mm -hmm. And so we think nothing is happening. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes when I go to the store, most of the time I've shifted to become a self-checkout guy. I don't know if you do that, but I'm a self-checkout guy. But if I'm in a store that's not, I scan the horizon, look for a line that I think is going to move fast. And I try to get in that line. And then I judge my progress and my decision based on the movement of my line compared to everyone else. Oh, yeah.
0: I do Uh, that in traffic. When you get up to a red light, I try to judge based off of make and model and car, age of the driver, which one's (laughs) going to take off the fastest, which one is going to go. But I don't do that in the checkout of the grocery store. I don't like self-checkout because check it, scan all the barcodes, making sure I bag it right stresses me out and you're paying the same price. And so I want <laughs> someone else to do all that. Somebody else scan it, bag it, and let me zone out for a minute while you do that.
1: I get that. I was in high school. The one of my jobs was I was a checkout guy at Walmart. And I feel like I have the training and the skills from early in life to do that myself and really prefer to do it myself because there's some checkers that are just slow and I'm yeah. just like just kidding get it done. But back to the waiting idea here, I, I just would say to some of the guys that they're waiting in the season of waiting at their replant or their revitalization, just realize that often there's a sanctifying work that God's doing in your life. Mm-hmm. And he's preparing the ground or the hearts of people around you that you may not be aware of his work, but when he works, man, all of a sudden things break loose and things happen. And that's a good thing. And if it's not a developing a developing maturity in you, spiritual sensitivity, et cetera, God is often working in the hearts of people around you either to release control or to engage or to change their mind and hearts. I mean, I just I think we don't understand enough that change is, is incremental over time. It's not usually all of a sudden. And especially when you've got people with preferences and biases of a particular type, that takes time to change. And it's only by small uh, amounts of change over a long period of time that you see things happen. It's a lean on the fence principle. Have you ever taken a fence row down, Jimbo? Yes. One way is to get a backhoe and just put a chain and rip it out. Another way is to dig it up. But... Another way is to take that post or that fence and just lean on it, back and forth, lean on it, and that's probably more the replant revitalization type of uh, change that that occurs in a church.
0: I know a lot of guys that I talk to, and I'm sure you as well, Bob, are guys who feel called maybe to replanting, but they have not been yet given that opportunity, and they find themselves—that's no, a good
1: one—and
0: yeah. they they don't know why they're waiting. But I think one of the things you've said today, and you say often, and it's so good, is is consider what God is doing in your sanctification through whatever process you're going through, whether that be a process of suffering, waiting, or anything like that. And In a sense, waiting can feel like a really slow version of suffering, and that we get frustrated with having to wait. Whether that be waiting to become a revitalizer a replanter, or replanter, or waiting to see God show up in some way that we recognize in the revitalization or the replant, or many other things that we may be waiting for, I, I'm reading through a book right now called "An Unhurried Life" by Alan Fadling, and it's been very challenging for me because I'm not good at waiting. I don't like lines. I don't like waiting. I I am not in my flesh, a patient person, and one of the most interesting things to me as a pastor is how many times church members have told me, but you're just so patient, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, actually, I, I am not patient. Anytime you see me patient, that is literally a fruit of the Spirit of God miraculously at work in me. That is not within my nature at all.
1: It. That's a That's a great testimony to the work of the spirit in our lives. And I would also say that I am prone to, and I think probably some of our listeners are prone to be more of their, to be their own worst critic. And we're, we're super, and I would say this, if, if we have a measure of self-awareness or spiritual self-awareness, we're going to have enough information from that self-awareness to be frustrated and maybe even discouraged about ourselves and our maturity and our progress. But what's evident to us is not always evident to everyone else. And oftentimes, the work of God that's evident to others is evident to others first before it's evident to us. And that sounds backwards almost, right? But you don't know that you're patient because you see yourself as impatient. But if somebody else who's around you for a period of time in a variety of settings, and particularly when you're the leader and you're the one who's moving forward, and they say you're patient, I think that's a good gift of, of God to you to say, Jimbo, I have developed this in your life, and so there is some progress, which I think you've got to walk away from that feeling good, yeah. even if you doubt it and push back on it and say, on the main, on the whole, I'm not a particularly a patient person, but thank you for that. You've, you've seen some evidence of God's work in my life. That's a good thing.
0: As I've been reading this book, Unhurried Life, one of the things that's challenged in me is that I I live oftentimes in a sense of urgency, and and urgency is a good thing, especially in change leadership. As we've talked about in change leadership, you can't really create a whole lot of change in any organization without some sense of urgency. And part of my impatience that I feel is I, I feel urgently. I feel things urgently and they need to happen immediately. I need this. I see what needs to happen and I want to make it happen and it needs to happen. One of the analogies that Alan Fadling uses in his book is it's oftentimes waiting is akin to this analogy he uses of you're sitting and a master portrait artist is painting your portrait. If you keep getting up to go look and see the painter's progress, you're going to mess up the progress. If you're sitting there and you're supposed to be sitting and being a portrait artist is looking at you sitting there, and they're painting, but you keep getting up to come look at the painting, you're missing what's happening. And as God works in our lives, it can feel like we're just sitting there. But what's actually happening is he's painting, he's doing something, he's making a masterpiece. That's what we see in Ephesians 2.10, right? That we are the poema, the workmanship, the poetry of God. And that takes a long time. I love art, My mom's an artist, and so I I grew up going to museums and studying artists and learning about art and artists all the time, and all art takes, all good art takes time, and it's a slow process. And so when the Bible says that we are his masterpiece, we are his poema, he's slowly painting what that story looks like for us, but it also makes me think of the other analogy I've heard so many use, and I don't know where it originates that God's sanctifying process in our life is like a sculptor that starts with a block and their job, if they're supposed to sculpt a horse is to take that block of marble or stone and chisel away everything that doesn't look like a horse. And that's the process that God has us in as his
1: poema, as his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. So the sculpting metaphor reminds us that waiting is painful and we're, our flesh works against it, but there's a real pain in waiting. So I think acknowledging that and, and giving voice to that frustration of saying, this, I feel a measure of pain when I wait. Leadership pain, emotional pain, those sorts of things are hard. And we are driven to not feel discomfort as creatures. And one of the most counterintuitive things that we can do is to realize that the pain is a sign that we have the opportunity to mature, or to grow, to get stronger. The whole thing about muscles and and no pain, no gain. Did you ever lift weights when you were, were you an athlete in school? I don't know if I've ever asked you that question. Did you ever play I have a Letterman while?
0: jacket. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to let you guess. Does it say, say manager on it? I want I have,
0: you to guess what kind of patch was put on my Letterman
1: jacket. Choir? No, not choir, because you're not a singer. Something baseball, maybe? Golf. Golf. I almost said golf. I was
0: I was a I was on my high school golf team. Okay. And played competitively. And I played I grew up playing soccer. Yeah. So neither of those sports asked me to lift weights. So no,
1: you really don't want to have a big bulky golfer or a big
0: bulky. I'm not a I was never been a weightlifter. Mm. But I've always but I have been big and bulky for a long time.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When I was, when I was playing basketball, man, I was like rail thin kind of like uh kind of like trip, man, your son trip. He's like rail thin. Yeah. I was maybe just a little bit, just a little more meat on my bones than trip. And I hated the weights and all the coaches in there are screaming at you, lifting weights and all the upperclassmen and no pain, no gain. That's true that there's reality. We all want the result of maturity without the, pain of maturity. And so I think that most of the seasoned people that you meet in life and have a lot of respect for, both leaders and then also both congregation members, they've endured a lot of painful things to become the people they are. And waiting is one of those things. Patience does not come by anything else but waiting.
0: Absolutely. I think any... Anytime we want to see God do things, we have this microwave mentality, and we want it to happen so quickly. And when we read through Scripture, there are moments that stand out to me as I read through the book of Acts where it'll skip over two or three years of Mm -hmm. Paul being in prison. And it doesn't give us any details. It doesn't tell us anything about what those two or three years were like. And in one verse, we get two or three years. And Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that's, what was happening? What was it like for those two to three years? Or when you look at the story of Joseph and now the story of Joseph is one, you could probably bullet point the major events in less than two minutes, but you got to realize you're over, I think, what is it like 13 years from the time that they sell him to the time that he ends up being second in command under the Pharaoh. And it's all these moments where he's just, just flat out waiting and we don't get any other details of anything else that happens other than waiting. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the practices that I do in my life that helps me slow down a little bit and trust the Lord is pretty much every morning I read through five psalms of the day. So whatever day of the month it is, is your first Psalm, plus 30 is the next one, plus 30 is the next one, and so on and so forth. And that'll get you five Psalms every day. And on the 31st, you do Psalm 119. And I've been doing that for years and have become very familiar with the Psalms. But one of the things that stands out to me is how many times it says, wait for the Lord or wait on the Lord. And every time I read that, it stands out to me. I think about Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And just that idea it's constantly in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, do not grow weary in doing good for in due time, you will bear much fruit. I think I've messed up the end of that, but, but the, but the idea is consistently throughout scripture of us waiting on the Lord.
1: Yeah, you're right. And then the thing to point out too, is you're thinking about it. It doesn't just say wait on the Lord and stop there. It says, be strong, let your heart be courageous. So there's there's the act of doing something in your waiting, which I think we miss. We think waiting is passive and immobile and just not doing anything. Mm -hmm. But when we wait on God, we're being strong. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, being strong in my conviction that the Lord is faithful, that he's good that his character is true and right, that he knows where I am. And then letting my heart be courageous, meaning that I'm not going to let the inaction, what I appear to see as the inaction of God or the lack of progress, make me discouraged. And I'm always going to be encouraged and and courageous to believe that God has me exactly where he wants me to be and that when things are going to break free and move, it's going to be the right timing. And that takes a strength and a courage to to be able to trust God and not be tempted to trust yourself to make something happen.
0: Another area in scripture that has always stood out to me in the idea of waiting is in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been walking with the disciples for three years. He's died on the cross. He's resurrected three days later in resurrected form. He's with the disciples, and he tells them to wait. And that's always stuck out to me because I think about if ministry were meant to be done in our own strength and wisdom, then the disciples lacked nothing at that moment. There was really no reason for them to not go ahead and gather as many people as possible and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Messiah has come and he has defeated sin and that they can be forgiven and adopted into God's family. But God tells them to wait. And specifically he tells them to wait because they need to wait on the Holy Spirit. And one lesson I have learned about waiting, I'm not going to say I've learned it fully because I still make this mistake, is because I live in a perpetual sense of urgency, because I'm a visionary thinker and I'm a doer and I want to get things done and I'm a problem solver, it is a act of spiritual discipline for me to wait for the Holy Spirit to lead. I think some people who are more driven in their personality towards proactiveness like me have to work a lot harder on the waiting part where some people who are more reactive need to work on the get off your tail and do something part. Right. And there is a balance there of, of, as it says in Psalm 78, 72, that we work with the shepherd with a pure heart and skillful hands that we have our part to play but it's so key to make sure that we're not operating from an empty well, that we're not doing things in our own strength, but that we are not doing things that are appear to be godly and hoping that God approves of them and blesses them, but that we are abiding in Christ, resting in Him, and making sure that we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, I, I remember being in my early 30s and being around a pretty high-impact pastor from a very large church, and they were talking about the seasons of ministry. And I'll never forget this talk that he gave. And in essence, he was saying that you have to learn to pace yourself in the seasons of ministry. And the seasons of ministry is always this, run, rest, run, rest, and he could say walk, rest, walk, you know, but it's always a season of expending yourself in ministry and then resting. And that's the pattern that we see in Jesus. Like the mystery in our minds is when the gospels say that Jesus retreated from the crowds and got away and he went to, to rest and encouraged his disciples to do the same thing. And during that resting time, he was re- replenishing himself physically and Was praying. And that's the mystery for us. Fully God, fully man. There was this, there was this surrender and this submission that he had took on in his own life, being fully man, that he had to engage with his heavenly father through prayer and through silence and meditation and retreat and Sabbath and all those things. And he did that in order for him to be productive in his ministry. And so I think the same things have true for us in perhaps waiting for us is is almost like a forced time of rest and reflection. If we're only what we do and what we accomplish and all the affirmation in our life comes from what we do and what we accomplish, why would in the world would we ever rest? And why in the world would we ever wait?
0: In many ways, I think that's how the Sabbath serves us. Sabbath idea is almost like a tithing of your time. Mm-hmm. And I think well, I think tithe or giving a percentage back of our finances, resources to the Lord is really a gift to us from God to help us defeat idolatry in our lives of money. In a much the same way, Sabbath rest in, in the Lord is that gift of reminding ourselves that we're not in charge. This is not dependent on us, but dependent on the Lord. Early in our ministry, Audrey and I were going 90 to nothing, both of us, And I was the only one getting paid and I was barely getting paid. And I remember uh, a guy at our church, Trinity Davis, set us down one day and saw that we were so close to burnout. And he said, hey, there's something I just want you to hear. In the Old Testament, breaking Sabbath law was punishable by death, according to some. In many ways, breaking Sabbath today it's still punishable by death. it'll just be a slower one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that stuck with Audrey and I for a long for still to today, the, the idea of if, if we ignore those patterns of rest that God desires, then we will slowly find ourselves dying spiritually and experiencing burnout because we're more dependent on ourselves than we are the Lord.
1: Good word. That's a good word. So if we've got guys out there and we're entering a holiday season, which was going to be busy Jimbo with family and maybe some travel, maybe not because of the COVID stuff, but I would just encourage guys use the couple of, of down days that you have over the holiday season, just to maybe evaluate your pace of life where the Lord has you waiting and reflect on the fact that, that he's doing something in you. Before he wants to do something through you, and as you wait on him, man, be strong, be courageous, take courage, and and know that waiting time is never wasted time.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing